0: Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens. I'm in the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. And sitting across the desk from me is Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Pastor Murphy, good evening.
1: Uh, Good evening and good evening to those who are listening this evening.
0: Yes, I'm excited about another episode of That's Truth. And Pastor, before we even get to questions from tonight or continue our discussion, we have four questions to get the program started out with. These came in at the very end of last week's program. We didn't have time to cover them, or they came in over the weekend. And the first one is a WhatsApp message from Antigua. Pastor, does the Sabbath have any meaning with Gentiles? Please explain.
1: The, if you check the Old Testament, it is very, very clear that the Sabbath was given only to the Jews. Um, the Sabbath adventists then claim that it was instituted from the time of creation. But there's no historical data, there's no evidence anywhere uh, that the Sabbath was ever observed by anybody but the Jews themselves. So I don't think there's any any basis for it. Uh, But again, if you're pushing a particular dogma and you are going to interpret scripture through the lenses of that dogma and you're going to try to interpret passages of scripture that have no relevance to that uh, to support your your belief system and I think this is exactly what has happened with the Seventh-day Adventists as a matter of fact if you were to read the account given in the the Old Testament uh, the Israelites were told after they were given the law including the the Ten Commandments that they were not supposed to make any covenants with any of the nations around them Uh, so clearly um, this is something that um, is not correct and uh, there's no evidence anywhere in scripture that it ever related to the Gentiles. Again, when you come to the New Testament now Acts chapter 15, when the Judaizing church in Jerusalem was trying to impose the law of Moses on the church, the Gentile church, there was a ecumenical council held, an ecumenical sense that it was a church council bringing believers together to discuss the whole matter. And if you'd read Acts chapter 15, you you'll see very, very clearly that there were only three or four uh, stipulations laid to the Gentile church. But they were told, we must not put the yoke of Moses on the the Gentile church. We could not bear it ourselves, and we must not impose this yoke upon the Gentile church. So, um, and then if you go through any of Paul's epistles, not one epistle, you ever find uh, any reference to the fact that the Sabbath was required of the Gentile church. It's not there. You always read that on the first day of the week, When you come together, gather uh, the offering when I get there. uh, In Acts chapter 20, uh, when he was at Miletus and he met with the Ephesian elders, he met on the first day of the week. Uh, So there's no evidence anywhere that the Sabbath applied uh, to the Gentile church, or any Gentiles for that matter. It was a unique uh, imposition uh, that was placed on Israel, but it was not something that was mandatory for the Gentile church, either before the church was started. Um, or even after the church was started
0: if you are intrigued and want to hear more about the biblical view of the sabbath uh... on january twenty-third of two thousand and eighteen pastor murphy spent a whole program discussing the sabbath and you can go back and listen to that there's a number of ways you can do that the easiest is if you just go to the caribbean radio lighthouse facebook page and just before the program this evening Uh, In the news feed, we posted a link for you to go back and look at any of the previous podcast episodes, and again, that is going to be about the fourth episode of That's Truth, and it was exclusively about the Sabbath. Does it apply to us in the New Testament or in the church age? Another way you can go to see that is by going to the following link, and I'll give it to you twice, www.anchor.fm forward slash that's truth www.anchor.fm forward slash th truth, or you can just go to your favorite podcast provider whether it be iTunes or Google Podcasts or TuneIn and just search for That's Truth and you will see the previous episodes listed there
1: could I uh, suggest as well if you really want a thorough, a real thorough um, investigation on the Sabbath and an explanation of it and um, the aspect of it in terms of the SDA and also in relation to Gentiles, there's a book called Sabbath in Crisis. It's written by a guy called Dale Rasloth. R-A-T-Z-L-A-F-F. Uh, you can go online, Google it, and you'll, you'll get the book. Um, you can buy it on Kindle. It'd be a lot cheaper but buying it by Kindle. But that book extensively covers the whole Sabbath issue and brings great clarity to it. There's another book by Dr. Russell Kelly, uh, and the title of the book is Exposing uh, SDA. Uh, He is an ex-Seventh-day Adventist, and his uh, book itself has a tremendous section dealing with the whole Sabbath question and put it in perspective. So if you want something far more thorough uh, on this matter, I would recommend those two books.
0: Time Across the Eastern Caribbean is 736. You're listening to That's Truth. Pastor Murphy, we have another question that came in right at the end of last week's program. Does Ellen G. White's family still control the SDA movement?
1: Well, there are two uh, branches of the SDA movement. There's now the evangelical branch, and there's what you call the traditional branch. The traditional branch is more her family controls. And don't forget, most of her books, uh, they have the rights uh, in terms of printing and stuff like that. Um, A lot of their um, earlier books were redacted when uh, to, to bring Ellen G. White's teaching in line with, with Christianity. A lot of things that she said that led people who read her books before to consider the Adventist movement to be a cultic movement, and then they had to redact a lot of her writings. But the dishonest thing about it is that they never show you where the redaction was and the fortunate thing is that these people who were in the Adventist movement for many many years have got the original copies and they can show you the parallel where this is what she said this is not what they're saying today so a lot of redaction has been done but basically uh, the traditional branch of it uh, which is very strongly uh, L and G. White the evangelical part of it uh, does not consider her writings to be inspired But the traditional branch seemed to believe that her writings were inspired. So it depends on which branch you're talking about. But the traditional branch is more controlled by the the, the White Foundation and, of course, family members, et cetera.
0: Which one would we be more familiar with here?
1: I have been trying to figure that out in my mind. uh, And I really haven't um, been able to chat with any. I wanted to call an Adventist pastor to really find out which branch we really have here Mm -hmm. in Antigua. Uh, I would hazard a guess at this point in time it's probably the traditional branch where you hold to her being the, the prophet and uh, would believe that her, her writings are inspired counsel to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, I would think that's the one we will have here.
0: You used the word redacted, and you were talking about her writing, some of her early writings. Was anything in Scripture ever
1: redacted, Pastor? No. Uh, again, hopefully tonight we'll get to talk about some of her prophecies that she made that were false. Ellen G. White was not a prophet. Uh, the Bible is very, very clear that a prophet, when a prophet speaks on the behalf of God, he has to speak with thorough truth, and whatever he says must come to pass. If what he says does not come to pass, the Bible says he's a false prophet. And in the case of Ellen G. White, I think this is true of her. Now, she was a, a religious woman, uh, a woman, um, I believe, from what I've read, uh, had a mental problem, and uh, a, a nervous problem as well, that affected her. And there are two or three Adventist uh, doctors that I could quote, give you their names, that all said that these visions and dreams that she had are related to the injury that she had when she was nine years old and was in a state of um, unconsciousness for three three weeks. They believe as a result of that. So they, they, they uh, feel that as a result of hysteria, ecstasy, and epileptic fits she would have. So they see it connected to the injury that she sustained. Um, and the other thing, of course, is that a lot of her writings uh, are very impressive. She, Even though she's had very little education, you're impressed when you read her books. Um, if you read some of the quotations that are given in the books about her writing, clearly she had a, a way with words. But again, when you discover that a lot of what she said was given to her originally was actually copied verbatim from other sources and never given credit, claiming that it's God, she went so far as to say everything that she writes it's not from man. It comes directly from God and the Holy Spirit. And she gets these um, light from the throne. Uh, but again, when you begin to really look at what she, her, her products, the writings, you discover that it's a lot of plagiarism.
0: What was the name of the book you listed last week that oh, the, compared side by White side? White Lie. White Lie. Okay. Uh,
1: that book um, is the, on the mining of, of, uh, of SDA. It's written by a guy called Walter T. Rhea, R E A. And uh, anyone can get it online as well, but it's a fascinating book. It got all of her, all of her in the books. They, they take what she wrote, and then they have on the on the parallel side, the opposite side, where she got it from verbatim in many many cases. And uh, that is why a lot of the um, Adventist uh, leaders left the Adventist movement because they realized that this woman was not really a prophet, because a prophet wouldn't steal from other people, and then. It's not just you you take it from other people. You're saying that it's God that gave it to you directly, and these didn't come from man, it came from God. Then to discover, to your dismay, but wait a minute, this is not true any longer. And and that's why they had in the 80s, they had a lot of people moving out of the Adventist movement, as long as this information became public uh, in that regard.
0: So is it safe to say, then, that that book is... Mostly unbiased in the fact that it's comparing her writing to the original authors that stated those items.
1: Yeah, there's speculation. Once you lead a movement, you you have some ill will towards those who remain. Right. If you read this book, that's not the point. The point is he's just trying to show to you. Now, listen. If this lady said that everything she re- re- wrote came from, directly from God, she was shown it. And that she received uh, this light from from the throne of God. It's not man that wrote it; she did it. Nobody. Sh- sh- that's her. I can read statements that she made. Those kind of comments, but when you now discover that's not true, so what the guy is doing really is doing a service to those within the Adventist movement to say, "Listen, this is what she wrote, but here's the source of what she wrote. How could she be saying this is of God and was given directly from from God? And you can see very clearly it was copied. So I think it was more exposing the. I wouldn't say, well, the dishonesty mm-hmm. and the plagiarism and, and to discount her prophetic gift. Uh, but again, that completely undermines the whole Adventist system once you undermine her credibility because they claim that she is the, the one who's the prophet and they're the only church that got this prophet. So, it creates a dilemma for them. But again, um, when you read it yourself, uh, you reach your own conclusions, and it's very, very clear that this woman may say what she want to, but clearly she copied stuff. She was a plagiarist, a very huge plagiarist. The other thing I read uh, recently as well that, um, is that the people who did the— when she would write, they would correct her writings and rephrase it.
0: Like an editor.
1: Like an editor, correct. And the lady that uh, did a lot of this for many, many years, when it was being investigated, she actually was so terribly um, sorry— that she was part of this whole cover-up, that uh-huh. she knew that it wasn't coming directly from from God. She knew that she was copying the material, but she was part of it for so many years, and she, she recently, virtually broke down when it was for, she was confronted uh, to admit, really, that she was part of this whole thing. And she did up. admit the truth. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Wow. Yeah.
0: Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy, or you're concerned about something that he said, or you want to know what the Bible says on a particular question or topic? We would love for you to contact us here on That's Truth. You can get a hold of Pastor Murphy. Uh, you can go live on the air if you would like. And the phone number to call for that is 1-268-462-7420. Again, to call and be put live on the air, 268-462-7420. Or if you would rather just WhatsApp or text your question, you can do that to the following phone number, 268 782 one four five four WhatsApp or text message two six eight seven eight two one four five four. If you've joined us on Facebook live, thank you very much for joining us via that medium and you can comment your question and it will get passed along to Pastor Murphy. Pastor, I've got another a text message that came in uh, as a result of last week's program. I'd like you to respond to it uh, and I'll read it as it came to sure. us. Christ only used truth, but you have set yourself up as an authority. There is a lot of misinformation being given on your program about the SDA church. This is not Christlike. You have never read Ellen G. White. How then can you speak authoritatively about her? And the final sentence Christlikeness is to be kind and not to pull down and criticize.
1: I'm kind of troubled how to respond to that question, Uh, but let me just say this. We're told in Scripture that we should try the spirits, that we are supposed to examine what is being taught so that we be not misled. When Paul went to Berea, and even when Paul was preaching, the Bereans took the Scriptures and uh, compared what Paul was saying with the Scriptures, so we have a legitimate right as Christians to examine any religious group, whether it be Seventh-day Adventist, Baptist, Lutheran, Catholic, doesn't matter. We have a legitimate right to t- take that particular religious and their system of belief and compare that with Scripture. Um, we're not I, At least I'm not doing it uh, here with any animosity. I'm doing it here to bring some clarity to what is being uh, taught by these particular groups. Um, in terms of the Seventh-day Adventist um, uh i have not read mrs white's writings i must admit ad admit that but i would say to you i have read those people who came out of the movement who knew her very well i'm not too sure if you're familiar with um um Carnwright. um he wrote two books that uh, i would recommend that you read the life of mrs ellen g white her claims refuted he's a man that was there when it started a man that knew her intimately. And by the way, nobody's ever uh, questioned the integrity of Ken Wright. Uh, but he came out and he spoke very plainly. And then he wrote this, the other book, uh, Some of the Adventists Renounced, and he deals with all of their doctrines. But in this book, he quotes extensively, verbatim, uh, Ellen G. White. So I don't need to read her writings to, to be able to uh, refute all that she said. He has got precise quotations, exact quotations, honest quotations of what she has done in the context of what she said. What she said. So it is true that to some extent I be limited in my knowledge in terms of having read her completely, but I would like to also say that um, the the books that I've read on her and 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 the SDA these are credible people who are not there uh, out of dishonesty or who are not there in any way to. To, um, to propagate lies and propaganda. These are people who were in the movement for many, many years, but haven't examined the movement in relation to the Scriptures, came to the conclusion that this was unscriptural and unbiblical, and in coming out, they have now written several books, quoting so that nobody can say she didn't say it. That's why it's so important for me uh, to make it very, very clear. Everything I've said on this program, I'm prepared to defend it by showing you clearly where it came from, and to show exactly what her words were. So I'm not too sure what you mean by misrepresenting the Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, If you could show me anything I've said that uh, is not true, I would retract that. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, I've done a fairly thorough job in terms of examining the doctrine, the teaching, the history, and I stick by what I've said about the Seventh-day Adventist movement. And until somebody can show me contrary by maybe bringing her books and telling me she didn't say that, uh, I'm sticking to my guns because I believe that they're authentic and I also believe that the people I've quoted from, they're all documented. So if you want to refute them, uh, you can actually bring a legal case because they've actually got them documented. So I I don't agree with the the, the assessment. Um, Speaking the truth in love is what is needed, but also we must speak truth because there's a lot of deception. Remember in Matthew chapter 24, the key characteristic of the end time, read it for yourself. Uh, Jesus used it about three or four times in Matthew Many will be deceived. Many will be deceived. Many will be deceived. Many will be deceived. Paul also in in, uh, in, in Timothy talks about, in the last days, doctrine of demons and devils, uh, etc. And he warns the church that uh, the day is coming of apostasy. I think that day has arrived, and I have a responsibility as a pastor to take any religion uh, and compare that religion with the Bible and uh, say to the public, this is not true, or this is in harmony with Scripture. But it would be a mistake uh, to believe that I'm being discourteous by drawing to the attention of the public uh, the contrary teachings of the Seventh-day Adventist movement and how it does not harmonize with Scripture.
0: The beginning of that text message... Uh, said that you had set yourself up as an authority. Have okay. you set yourself up as an authority, Pastor? I just want to clear for draw attention to that. No, I,
1: I am going to probably make. I'm um, not probably. Everybody makes men make mistakes. I, yeah. I am not a prophet, son of a prophet. Uh, I'm just a person who believes the Scripture, who takes the Bible as, se- as seriously, believe the Bible is infallible, is inerrant, believe in believe that there are biblical truths that the church has always held to and that God has made sure that his testimony and his witness has remained throughout the ages. So there are fundamental core doctrines and teachings that we cannot deviate from without undermining Christianity. And within the Adventist movement there are things that are taught by that church that are outside the pale of Christianity and are contrary to what Christianity teaches.
0: So what is the authority, the single authority on this program?
1: There's only one authority, that's the Word. Uh, uh, the Word of God is the final authority. If there's a doctrine that is being taught by any movement, any church, any institution, any cultic or non-cultic group, any denomination, if a doctrine is being taught that is contrary to Scripture, the Scripture becomes a standard, and we must judge that doctrine by Scripture. I did that when we were talking about tongues, and uh they give you the biblical place of tongues within the context of Scripture. And I'm trying to do the same in respect to other doctrines that we will deal with dealing with other groups.
0: We have a WhatsApp question that's just come in from a listener in Antigua. Thank you to the individual who sent it in. Pastor, it's multifaceted, so I'll give it to you piece by piece. Does the heterodox movement teach that another Jesus, that Paul warned the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 11?
1: Well, I am not too sure. Um, the the heterodox mean that it's is different, okay? Uh, so uh, you had a, um teaching that is contrary to the norms of Scripture. Uh, we are warned in the Bible, uh, again, that even in the o- New Testament times, they were preaching another gospel. In Philippians, uh, Paul talks about uh, his preaching the gospel, and they're preaching another gospel to, uh, in other words, to anger the Apostle Paul. Uh, and we are warned again about another Christ, another gospel, in the scriptures. So those that go contrary to, to the standards of the Bible and, and Christ, uh, clearly they are teaching a Jesus that does not exist. Now when we talked about the JW for example, they talk about the Jesus, but not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the, the JW is a Jesus who was Michael the Archangel. He is the first created being of God. Uh, he was resurrected not in a body, he was resurrected as a spirit. And uh, uh, he is not eternal. He is a God, but not God. That is another Christ. That's not the Christ of the Bible. That's heterodox uh, teaching. Um, so there is another Christ in, in those groups that teach that which is contrary to the orthodox uh, biblical truth.
0: The follow-up question or the second part of this uh, message is, some SDAs cling to the new revelations of 1888 in which A.T. Jones and E.G. Wagner, which was then endorsed by Mrs. White with the message of Righteous by Faith, does this make them more in orthodoxy with such a message, or does this make them more suspect?
1: Well, I am not too sure those two names that were just mentioned. I must confess to you I'm not familiar with those names. But I do know that the Adventist movement Uh, the way they view justification, there are two groups. Uh, The evangelical group within the the Adventist movement, they view justification as a legal, forensic uh, declaration of God that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to the believer. Uh, The other group believe that not only is it imputed righteousness, but it's imparted righteousness. In other words, you're actually yourself made righteous. Uh, And that is why within their context of of salvation. Uh, You have the imputed righteousness, but you also have imparted righteousness. And according to how you develop that righteousness, you can actually, um, by disobeying the law, you can actually lose your salvation. So you don't even know if you're saved until the final investigative judgment is done. Um, I would say, um, not having clarity on this matter, I would probably check it out and investigate it, but um, the Adventist movement has changed. It has morphed over a period of time. And part of the reason why it is morphed is because uh, a lot of things that Mrs. White said were clearly unorthodox. But what they did they give a spin to it to reinterpret it so it f- harmonizes with what are the standards, norms within the the, 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 the Bible and the, and the church. But there are a lot of things that she said that uh, that's why at one time, Martin um, uh, Walter Martin and the others who wrote like Hokima always put them in the categories of cult. But they came out with their question on doctrines and clarified a lot of things that were creating problems that Mrs. White and the others had written. And they brought the movement more in line with Orthodox Christianity, with a few exceptions, maybe four or five things that they still held to that are contrary to the, the, uh, the, the standard of Scripture.
0: A text message that came in from Antigua, what are the names of the books or authors that Mrs. White has taken her books from? I guess, what did she, who did she plagiarize from, I believe is what the question is asking.
1: Yeah, um, let me, I, I could probably give you that offline. Uh, I can't give it to you out of my head right now. Uh, but I would say to you that if you go and take the, the book online, um, The White Lie, I have it in my library so I can actually give you the quotations from it. But there's not one book, there are numerous books. That she quoted from, and if you are really interested in knowing what those books are, if you were to call me tomorrow at the church, and the number there is four six two four two three zero four six two four two three zero, I would actually quote and uh, what she wrote and what book she got it from, and I will even do better for you. If you visit the church, I'll show you the book itself so you can see clearly that uh, what she wrote were actually copied from other sources. I um, I think that's the best. Um, confirmatory where I can show you what is actually true.
0: And that phone number again is 462-4230.
1: Okay.
0: All right. Uh, Pastor Murphy, another text message that came in over the weekend. There are many churches that sprang up in Antigua without any real historical base or international affiliation. Also churches that seem very different from normal churches Yet they pull or intrigue you. How do you evaluate or judge what is right? Very good question. Yeah,
1: very good, very solid, and very reasonable as well. There's only one standard to judge a religious group, to judge standard right or wrong, to judge morality, uh, to judge cultural trends. There's only one one source to do those things, and that is the Bible. The Bible has to be the absolute standard for the church where we judge. Uh, its practice and its doctrine. So any particular uh, group that starts off, whether they have international connections or not, uh, you judge that group by comparing their doctrine and the teaching uh, with Scripture. If they deviate from Scripture, they are heretical and they ought to be uh, exposed for the heresy. And uh, I would not recommend anybody uh, go to any one of these churches that is outside the pale of the the, the biblical truth.
0: Now, last week we were discussing the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and we've picked back up with that uh, this week. Specifically last week you were discussing their history and Ellen G. White. And this evening we're going to discuss in detail some of their doctrines and also some more about Ellen G. White and her prophecies. But, Pastor, let me just take a step back and ask you a question that we started with last week. Why are we discussing the Seventh-day Adventist in a series where we're discussing cults or new religions?
1: Fundamentally, because there need to be some clarity on this subject. There are um, some within the fundamental uh, Christianity who still view the Adventists as a cult. Um, there's still a lot of debate among uh, the Christian churches. Is it a cult or is it not a cult? How are you defining a cult? Again, a cult is a uh, religious group that deviates from some standard uh biblical doctrine or truth that's the way I'm interpreting it right so you're talking um the core truths that the Bible teaches the deity of Christ the uh, creation, the second coming, the resurrection, the virgin birth, etc., etc. cetera, et cetera. There are core groups uh core belief system that form the basis of Christianity uh, a cult norm is a group that would deviate in some significant way from this. The other thing is that uh the other thing about the cult basically is that it, it puts so much emphasis on a leader, whether it be a woman, a man, whether it be a prophet, a pastor, preacher, uh, that he becomes the final voice in terms of interpreting the scripture. Um, as though he has an end with God and whatever he says basically must be followed. This is true of Joseph Smith. Uh, this is true to some extent of Ellen G. White until the evangelical movement within the Seventh-day moving away from that. But clearly, if you were to check look some of the commentaries, you'll see that it's peppered with her quotations out of her books because as though she is the one to interpret for them. Remember they said that they're the only church that got a prophet and that prophetic gift was restored to the Seventh-day Adventist church. And and therefore, the counsel that she gave, they, they say is not really for other churches, really for the Adventist church because there are the... F- there are the final restoration group of the end time to restore certain truths that were lost, including the Sabbath and the sanctuary doctrine, etc., etc. So um, there need to be some clarity about that matter about the Adventist movement, and then uh, I am a little bit confused myself with the Adventists. And uh, when I say that, I mean this. They put so much emphasis on the Sabbath that when I think of them, I don't think of Christ. I don't mm. think of anything but the Sabbath. And there's something wrong when the, the preeminence of Christ is lost in this halo of of doctrine that has nothing to do with him, basically. It's
0: interesting that you say that, because I was just talking with a neighbor the other day, uh-huh. and she said something to the same effect. She was talking about the Seventh-day Adventist church, and uh, may claim to be religious, but she was saying that uh, when she thinks of the Seventh-day Adventist, and she thinks back to her childhood... In school, it was the Sabbath and people getting in fist fights over the Sabbath.
1: <laughs> yeah, the other, yeah, you take even a Jehovah's Witness, they, they're pushing this name Jehovah, Jehovah, Jehovah. The word Jehovah is not even in the New Testament. Hmm. The word is Theos or Kurios, not the word Jehovah. As a matter of fact, I not they, they should know by now that the real word is not really Jehovah, it's Yahweh. Because the Hebrew language does not have uh, vowels; it has consonants. Y H W H. Really, that's what it is. You can put in. You can put an I in there. You can put an O. You can put a U in there. So, but they make this big thing. Right, But again, Christ is obscured in this whole process. Go through the book of Acts or go through the Bible. And the one thing that is preeminently exalted is everything is about Jesus. Everything is about Christ. He's exalted as the preeminent one. But a lot of these movements are lost because they put emphasis on different areas. And so the preeminence of Christ is totally gone. So I think it's important for the, uh, in dealing with it the, because there needs to be some clarity on these matters. And I'm not too sure that these people are aware of some of the doctrines that they really believe. For example, the I don't think people really understood the investigative judgment, what it's about. Now, that's that's not scriptural, by the way. There's no biblical base for that doctrine. The whole system of Adventism is based on the investigative judgment. If you can undermine that, everything crumbles. Everything crumbles. Uh, and that is why it's important to let people understand what this doctrine is about and understand that this is not there's no biblical warrant For this doctrine. This is something of creative imagination of a man called Hiron that to save the day when they had the great disappointment in 1944, the Adventists were deflated. They were told that the Lord would return in 1934, he didn't come, then they turned it to 1943, And then they turned it to uh, 1933 and 1833 and 1834. And then when he didn't come, they were totally flabbergasted. Mm. Miller. Realized he had done wrong, and he left the movement. But again, you built your whole life on this system, and that guy saved the day by saying he had this 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 vision that Christ moved from one area to the other. And then, of course, the 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 other things that they teach that are, that the scapegoat theory, the fact that Christ was Michael the Archangel. I mean, these are things I'm not too sure the public is aware that these are actually taught by the Adventists. Well, I think most people know they teach soul sleep. And I think most people might know that they don't believe in in, in, uh, eternal damnation. They believe in annihilation. People know that. And then I also don't think that people are aware about the plagiarism of uh, Ellen G. White and the fact that she is so dishonest. And this is not accidental. This is purposeful. But then to charge God uh, with giving me direct revelation, which I write, and then to discover that I've copied them, I cannot think of anything more repulsive that to uh, implicate God in this crime uh, against humanity yeah. because that's what it is. It's misleading the public. So I think it's a very serious matter. I think it should be exposed.
0: If you were wondering uh, how to get a hold of Pastor Murphy or maybe what church he's associated with, we've had that question come in. Pastor Murphy is the pastor of Grace Baptist Church here in Antigua located in Gamble's Terrace, Antigua. Again, the phone number for the church, if you have questions about uh, anything specifically, he gave it earlier, and I'll give it to you again. It's 462-4230, and he would be glad to share some of the sources of uh, those examples of plagiarism with you. Or you can get the book, The White Lie, and read it for yourself. Pastor Murphy... We talked a little bit about the SDA movement and how it's structured last week. but And I remember you saying that it's actually a very, from a uh, business standpoint, seems to be a very uh, well-organized movement. Anything else you'd like to add as far as the movement and its structure?
1: Yeah. I'm not too sure if the solid structure that they have, came out of the Methodism, because you remember that um, White used to be a Methodist before. Mm-hmm. And you know that John Wesley is the one that created Methodism, and he was very methodical in things. I'm not too sure where it came from, but they have a brilliant structure of how they keep the organization going. And uh, the, each church... Uh I'm
0: going to interrupt you just a minute, sure. Pastor. We've got a caller from Belmont, Antigua. Go ahead. Thank you for calling.
2: We're to Pastor Murphy, and to you and the listeners up. The
0: yes, good evening.
2: Um, Pastor Murphy, um, I, I heard you um, mm. comment about someone, the text someone called you saying that um, you should be kind and you should not um, criticize and stuff, right? Yeah. But well, let me tell you something, Pastor Murphy. God calls some people to speak the truth. And I, with me, you're not criticizing. You're speaking it. You're just saying, okay, this is what so-and-so is and this is what the Bible teaches. God must have somebody in the world. To teach his truth to people, and no one of those persons I see doing that. There are many preachers who fail to uh, to use the scriptures to show other person the errors, and that's where they're coming short. But yeah. people need to know the truth, that's so pretty- God is dealing with you. So I can't go along with him with that. Don't let me make a comment about the Sabbath, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Now, Pastor Murphy, you know the days of the week when are um, name by Joy called Christian or false God religion is right. Yeah. Like T Y R tire. I'm um, um, a goddess of legal affairs and of truth. And she was Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Wednesday was war Awotan. He's god of gods and god of fire and god of war. And he was Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Thursday is a mighty star. He's god of sun and lightning, etc. Mm-hmm. And Frigga, Friday came from the goddess of love, right? So these, what happened through the centuries, different religions and so on, and people's names, days and so on, and the one time in history, they put all those names the special graduates, are names together and, and name the days of the, of the week. Yeah. Now, when God created the heavens and the earth, God never give them no name like Sunday the Monday. Mm-hmm. And I challenge any Sunday Adventist or anybody who believes that this day we call Saturday is the so called rest of God. They cannot fool with process, they cannot be buried. So, what i have to do, come back from yesterday go well, right back up to the first day, when God said, let there be light, and that will have to turn out to be a Sunday. Yeah. And as of fact, Sunday came from sun worship. Mm. So that's why Corinthians 2.16 is there. Let mm-hmm. someone man you neither or a of a Sabbath and of the new moon, because God knew that this confusion was going to take place. So beforehand, he wrote it down to say, hey, when the time comes, listen. During the Millennium is in Ezekiel 43 or 44, God is going to establish a day known as the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be a Saturday. So God said, for now, you worship me in spirit and truth. You mm-hmm. want to rest on a Monday, rest on the Monday. And these Adventist people do not seem to realize that's how it goes. When the disciples are going to the country and they rub the ears, they begin to pluck the ears of God. The Bible says, and eat. Which was that law? us to do on the Sabbath day? Yeah, the Adventist, did they break the Sabbath? They said, God was there. I said, did they believe somebody said God was there? Mm-hmm. The point is, we not love us, no. mm-hmm. you know to do. You the Sabbath is made for man, and not man And they fail to get it right. Okay. Because you're preaching the truth now, they're getting they upset about preaching the truth. Then they will stay in darkness. Somebody must preach the truth, and before I go past, past Murphy, um, before I go, let me we rewind we a little from before that. When I told you um, about 144,000, right? Yeah. I tell, you where, I tell you where I was confusing some creatures, right? Mm-hmm. Remember in Revelation chapter 7, they seal 144,000, right? Yeah. In Revelation 7. So if you go to Revelation chapter 9, from verse 1 to 4, mm-hmm. you'll hear he you speak of the, the creatures that came out of the bottomless pit mm-hmm. and were given command to, to torment people upon the earth. But it's script in verse 4, he says, but not those men that have the seal of God in their forehead. Right. So they believe that's 144,000, but God tells me, no. They're the two prophets in Revelation chapter 11. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are going to have the seal of God in their forehead. So those creatures, because that's the wrath of God going down there, yeah, right? So those creatures will not be able to hurt those two men. Mm-hmm. Revelation chapter 11, but not the 140, 144,000. 144,000 is up in heaven. And uh, as a matter of fact, to be very sure, I'm, I'm going to check it out. You see, Revelation chapter 6 verse 5, that's the way the rapture takes place, okay? Mm-hmm. Revelation chapter 6 verse 12. Some preachers doubt me, but I know, I, I know the truth. I'm speaking. You can't say the word amazing. God bless you, and okay. I'm going to see you personally soon. We are going to meet you soon.
1: Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I, I will deal with the 144,000 at some point in time. But let me just say this, um, Connor. I will not be muzzled. I can assure you that. I will no. not be muzzled. Um, the Bible the final authority, and we have a responsibility to expose people to truth and um, we are told in the Bible that we must, in every case, uh, try the spirits and to examine uh, the truth. So we, we will be doing that and uh, I assure you that we will, I will not be muzzled in this respect.
0: Uh, during the call, we had a question come in. Can anyone keep the Sabbath, Pastor?
1: Well, nobody can keep the Sabbath as it was Nobody can keep the Sabbath as it was intended uh, in the Old Testament. For example, it's not just a matter of you keeping the Sabbath, but clearly that uh, you had to make sure that whatever you do did not cause other people to work. And uh, in a modern society we're living in, uh, your electricity is causing somebody to work, so you have to turn off the electricity. Uh, you got the pump. To get gasoline to go to church, you're causing somebody to work. So, there's no way you can actually keep the Sabbath today, as God laid down in the Old Testament. Uh, so, those who hold so tenaciously to the Sabbath, uh, they've got to realize that they cannot really keep the Sabbath as as, as laid down in the Old Testament. It's virtually impossible.
0: Pastor, before the phone call, we were you were discussing the structure of the. Seventh-day Adventist movement.
1: I was explaining that each church uh, within the Seventh-day Adventist elects its elders, its deacons, and even deaconesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, They elect the clerks and the treasurers and the department leaders. So that's the the individual church. The minister of the local church is appointed by the local conference. It's not the local church that selects the minister. It's actually the local conference. The local conference consists of local churches in a designated area. And the officers of the local conference are elected every three years.
0: Let uh, me just stop you there. Is that a biblical, not to uh, run down a rabbit trail here, but does the Bible say how church leadership should be chosen? Should that be chosen by a conference, or should it be chosen by an individual church?
1: Well, it depends on how people look at it. If you look at the um, the um, those churches that... Um, Seven There's one, but there are others as well, like the Anglican Church, uh, there mm-hmm. are, I think the Moravian as well. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that assign people to different churches, etc. Um, I think it is more in harmony with the biblical principle that the local church should be the ones that select uh, the pastor. Uh, who knows better the local conditions? Who knows better the individual that would best fit within the environment of the church? And I think to take away that from them, I really think it's, um, in the long term, I don't think it's helpful. The only advantage I can see of spreading people around, uh, you do have some boring preachers, let's admit that. And if you can spread it around, maybe it would be less boredom in the church, and you could get a a person who's been there for many, many years, and people got accustomed to him, he's no longer appealing, and then move somebody around. So I can see there is an advantage. But biblically, um, the local church should make that selection. Uh, so the the and then the the union conferences, which are comprised of the local conferences in a designated area, and then the union conferences officers are elected for five years, so they serve for five years. And then the, there's something called the division, uh, which is comprised of two or more union conferences with officers who are elected for five years. And then there's the general conference. Which is, uh, encompasses all divisions, with officers elected every five years. So it's very, very. If you if you notice, it's the uh, general conference, the divisions, the union conference, the local conference, and then you go down to, to the ministries, individual ministries. So it's very, very well structured and very well um, controlled. I think that helps to explain why the movement has grown so greatly. And remember also that um, they have a central headquarters, basically, where tithes are actually sent, and then the pastors are paid uh, uh, paid that way. That helps by pooling resources. Uh, we, of course, within the M- Independent Baptist Movement, we believe that every church is responsible to take care of the pastor, take care of the ministry. That sometimes can be um, problematic in terms of the resources, in terms of a limited congregation. But again, I think this is uh, more in harmony with what... Uh, biblical but I am not adverse to those who would come together and try to help each other and try to help pastors who are struggling or churches who are struggling but uh, that gives you an idea of how well organized uh, the Adventist movement is and help to explain why having this kind of structure and pooling their resources they're able to be able to do so much uh, in terms of evangelism in terms of hospital ministry schools etc etc
0: You're listening to That's Truth, and we're discussing this evening the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the movement. And uh, if you still have a question for Pastor Murphy, we would love for you to contact us. There's a number of ways you can do that. You can call and be put live on the air, 268-462-7420. Again, call and be put live on the air, 268-462-7420, or you can WhatsApp or text your question to two six eight seven eight two one four five four.
1: Yeah, I did want to make a comment to the um, f- first three questions that came in. In, in Clearly, this person is an Adventist and might have been offended by what was said. I would uh, just counsel you, if I may, to examine your belief system and don't be so gullible and bury your head in the sand to pretend that, uh, you don't want to know what really is going on within your denomination. Truth has nothing to hide from. Truth should be under the light and should be transparent. And I would advise you, if I may, uh, rather than take a position that I'm trying to be hypocritical, I've set up myself with authority about truth, why don't you just do some exploration yourself and uh, check up some of these books that I've written that I've, that I've mentioned to you. And uh, afterwards, you call back again, or you send me back and tell me what you think of what was written, because I think that it will open your eyes that what you think is there is not actually there, and you'll be shocked by what really uh, has taken place in your religion, and a lot of this has been hidden uh, and, uh, and um, held so that people are not exposed to these things.
0: When was the last time that you encouraged someone to tune in to that Truth? Even if it's right now during the program, send someone a WhatsApp message, a text message, call down the hallway, call your neighbor on the phone, encourage them to tune to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, whether that be 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, or online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Or you can watch on Facebook Live and join us that way. But let me encourage you. Keep spreading the word so that people can tune in to that truth. Pastor Murphy, anything else you'd like to add about the movement and the structure before we look at specific uh prophecies of L and G White?
1: Um I I believe that um some of their interpretations, especially the book of Daniel and the Book of Revelation, uh are really distortions. Uh, I believe that they have taken uh, passages from Daniel seven, Daniel nine, and, and uh, Daniel chapter eight, and somehow they've been able to pull verses out of context that are not related uh, to form some. As a matter of fact, it looks like a, 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 a mishmash to me. Really, to be honest with you, it looks as though it's a, a, a kind of a garbled method of interpretation. It's not a systematic interpretation. Uh, and I think that um, that came about as a result of the frenzy about the Lord's return back in the, in, the, uh, in the 19th century. I mean, this was something that was so common. As I said, it was not only in America, it was in uh, South Africa, it was in England, it was all over this idea of the Lord coming back and setting dates, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that out of that frenzy and not having all the, the data, now in history we can look back, and a lot of those things that might not have been cleared when the data was there, what data they had now is very very clear that these were misinterpretations. because the historical truth is that it relates a lot of this relates to anti Epiphanes epiphanies and the fact that he sacrificed the pig on the altar and it had to be cleansed and stuff like that the other thing i would say about the that matter is that a lot of these cults that have or cultic groups are inclined that have gone wrong and i don't want to say this disrespectfully but a lot of it is based on the fact that this saw something in the English version, in particular the King James Version, and never got behind the word, what the word literally means in the Greek language, and what are the real definition like that, like destroy, what does that mean? Uh, torment, what does that mean? I just think that they took a lot of the, the words, like the word cleansing the temple, mm-hmm. uh, the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting study, uh, the, the same guy that I, I mentioned a moment ago, um, about the Adventist who who's, uh, um, came out of the movement and wrote this book, um, he has done a, a Greek study of that word and showed that the word that is there is not cleanse; is to restore. See, but and, and the word that is used for cleanse in the Leviticus chapter sixteen for the day of atonement, that word is never used in the text in Daniel chapter eight. So they are just. But because it's translated cleanse in the King James, they associate that cleansing with Le- Leviticus chapter 16. And I found as well that when I examined the Jehovah's Witness, that was the same dilemma. They have taken words out directly out of the English Bible. They have not gone to any Greek, Greek lexicon or any Greek grammar because there are times when you have to get behind the meaning of the word and the grammar and the meaning of the word to find out exactly what it really means and what it actually says. Because several words in the King James, for example, are translated by many different words, but it's one word. So I think because they've not done a thorough study in that area, uh, that has led, take Mrs. White. I mean, she was a, what, seventh grade person. She knew no Greek. She knew no Hebrew, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And I, I can't fault her. Uh, but again, just using the, 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 the English Bible and without checking the meaning of the words and what it means, because a lot of this is going to be cleared up. But how would you
0: respond to someone who said, but the disciples, so many of the disciples were not highly educated men, they were fishermen, they were tax collectors, I guess the tax collector may have been a little more highly educated, but how would you respond? Education
1: is not the the issue, if it seems that way, that's not what I'm actually saying. Mm. I'm saying that if I'm going to come up with a new doctrine or a new teaching, I cannot be a person who is going to just do my doctrine on just the English version. That's the point I'm making. you got to go back to I the gotta original I've got to go back language. to the original, and that's okay. what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, because all people, everybody doesn't have the advantage of education. We know okay. that. But if I'm going to come up with a new doctrine that is completely new, is never the church had never seen it before, based on a particular word in the any English version, I'm a fool. I have, to, I have to realize that, listen, the church could not be wrong for all of these years. A sovereign God is not going to mislead this church all of these years. So therefore, my interpretation, I need to examine this very carefully and get behind the word to see exactly if I'm not teaching false doctrine. That never happened with either uh, White or happened with Russell. They just went straight and remember that Mrs. White was terrified by hell. Yeah. Don't forget that, she was terrified by, hell. same thing with Russell. And remember that I mentioned very clearly that the there's an association between the J.W. and the Seventh-day Adventists. One came out of the other. So a lot of the doctrines, like the soul sleep, annihilation, um, um, uh, soul sleep annihilation, my um, um, mind is having a little block mm-hmm. here. But those are doctrines that are shared equally by both denominations. The 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 J W and the seven Dead share the same same view, so it's not surprising that you'll find that Russell believes in soul sleep and believes in annihilation because he's coming out of the uh, or vice versa they they they're all held to this particular view. But again, you got Russell who's terrified by it, and you got L.A.G. E. White who's terrified. Remember, this is a young girl as well, uh, etc. So, I do feel that some of the mistakes have been made, has really been as a result of just reading the English version, coming to a conclusion and not exploring the Greek meaning and the the grammar behind the words etc
0: what were some of the false prophecies of Ellen G. White? And what I mean by false prophecy is she made a prophecy and then it did not come true.
1: Well, remember that uh, her counsel called testimonies. Uh, the, the, she said is uh, the counsel that God gave her for the Adventist church. Everything she wrote, she said, this is not man writing it. This is not woman writing it. This is things I received directly from the Lord that he wants to say to the church. For example, she um, talked about the Civil War, when Lincoln in Civil War. Mm-hmm. Uh, she pretty much said the Civil War would be a failure. She also said that slavery would never be abolished. Wow! I mean, these are things that she said itself and I, I would challenge the the, the, the listener. I can give you those quotations if you were to uh, call me tomorrow and show exactly where the source is. But here's a woman who's supposed to be a prophet, or prophetess, should I say? And she's pronouncing that the Civil War is going to be a disaster for Lincoln, and that the slavery is not going to be abolished. It would not be. But look back at history now. What has happened? What she prophesied has proven to be false. So how can you be a prophet, uh, having the spirit of prophecy and the testament prophet, and yet you are so misled uh, by a simple matter like the Civil War, and uh, history proves you to be false? That is an example, or two examples of the fact that uh, she made prophecies that didn't, didn't come to pass. T- take the other one. I think I mentioned it last time. The Lord led her and gave her a vision of the seven Adventists wearing a particular type of clothing. Mm -hmm. First of all, she said, Lord, it would be two inches off the ground. And then later on, she went and visited the doctor. The lady there was wearing it above, uh, just below, below, and she made it up to nine inches. She wore it for a number of years. And then suddenly she dropped it because the Adventists got so much ridicule back in those days for wearing this kind of a garment. But again, how can God reveal this is this is God's will for the Adventist movement? She starts, and then suddenly she starts wearing it without any explanation. So again, you've got a prophetess who's going back on the word and saying, the Lord told me this, but then when it doesn't get public sentiment and public approval, and uh, you get all this criticism, suddenly she stops wearing the garment, and then of course the Adventists stop as well. So you can see very clearly that this, this woman may be... Uh, a Christian woman in the sense that she was sincere but she was also sincerely wrong and she was not a prophetess
0: we have a whatsapp question that's just come in from the village of pickets in Antigua pastor would it be honest then for to conclude that the baptist would be a better choice for me when it comes to worship
1: Look, I am not here to uh, become an advocate for the Baptists or for any other group. I'm here really to uh, tell you what the Bible teaches on a particular matter. What I would say to you, um, my counsel to you would be always find a church that is closest to the Scriptures as you can, you can get it. A church that follows the Bible. That would be my counsel to you. There are other good churches in Antigua besides the Baptists, okay? But we would welcome you and the other Baptist church will welcome you, but my counsel to you is to get into a church that teaches the Word of God and uh, systematically teaches it. Does good exposure, exposure preaching on the Word, and also a church that you can get involved in, uh, not just to be a pew warmer, but you can you have you can use your gifts and contribute towards that ministry. So the f- the first thing is uh, Bible teaching, Bible believing church in in language scripture, but also how the, your gifts can be utilized in that ministry so that you can foster that work and help that work to expand as far as the kingdom of God is concerned.
0: Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? We'd love for you to send it in. It can be about this topic or it can be about any other topic or what the Bible says about this topic or doesn't say about a specific issue. You can call 268-462-7420. Again, call 268 268- or you can text or WhatsApp your question To 268-782-1454 782-1454 Or if you're on Facebook Live You can just put it in the comments section And it will get passed along to Pastor Murphy In a very timely manner Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 828 We have 30 minutes left in the program Pastor Murphy. Let's talk some more about the the prophecies of L. N. G. White that didn't come to fruition.
1: I haven't done uh, an extensive job in that area. I just limited to these four, three things I've mentioned here. Okay. Uh, so I really cannot go into other areas. I know there are other um, things that were mentioned in the books that I read, but I really did not uh, take a careful note of those those issues. But if a prophet is wrong on three or four items, and remember. In her writings, she is saying very clearly, she is not speaking as, a, as just an ordinary person. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through her, and God has given these directives, and she's getting this light from the throne. Uh, and yet she's wrong. She's wrong. She's wrong. She's wrong. Something is wrong with a prophetess who can be wrong so often. And uh, that's why I said that uh, whatever claims they, they attach to her, in my judgment, she was not a true prophet. And they consider her to be a prophet, like the Old Testament prophets, by the way. That's why they believe their church is so unique. Their church is the only church that has got the prophetic gift that was, has been restored. And, and that is why they cannot surrender Ellen G. If you surrender her, the thing crumbles. Totally crumbles.
0: How many times did a prophet in Scripture have to be wrong in order for them to be considered a false prophet? Once. Just once. once,
1: just once, just once you don 't need to be do it twice or three times just once that 's a very, very clear, clear matter. But again, I would like to emphasize uh, to my mind, the greatest insult uh, to God is to make a claim that God is revealing these things directly to you, and then here you are copying material out of other people 's books and claiming that God has given this to you directly. to my mind, that is uh, an insult uh, to God and it implicates him in this whole matter of misleading the public, claiming that she has this prophetic gift. Uh, l- let me just say something else, Nathan. Um, the Adventists had some other weird <coughs> belief systems. Uh, for example, okay.
0: We have a phone call, uh, calling back from Belmont. Go ahead. Yeah, good evening,
2: Pastor Mercy. Good evening, sir. Pastor I'd like to just say a few things about pertaining to the law. Now Moses at the Seventh-day Adventist um, embraces it really, right? But let me give um, a little insight into something that happened. Sure. I, there was a radio program in another station um about um Christianity, okay?
1: Uh-huh.
2: A two and three pastors, sometimes, and a politician. Oh. I usually interact with them. Yeah. Well, the politician, one, he professes to be a Christian and he's knowledgeable about the scriptures and... um. One night, he said, um, the Adventists are correct that the Saturday is a Sabbath day, right? Uh And I called him and I said to him, um, First, he said that anybody who works on a Saturday is living in damnation. And the word damnation really is a curse word. If you damn something, you reject it. It's not good. You reject it. So I called him and I said to him, um, So what are you saying, sir? There was um, nurses at Mount St. John and so on who work on Saturdays and the doctors. They're breaking the Sabbath? He said, yes. I said, so they're living in damnation, he said yes. I said, what about the policemen? They said they shouldn't work on the Saturday. He said they're break I said breaking the Sabbath? He uh-huh. said yes. I said, What about the firemen? He said yes. So uh-huh. therefore, the teaser and the would have a field and on the policeman and now work. Uh-huh. And any building that's on fire will probably burn down in the fire so don't assist them. <laughs> so he said well, he said he stood by his word, okay? I yeah. gave him a little time to reflect and a few months after on the same programme I asked him the same question. I asked him, Do you still stand by that? A statement that anybody who works on a Saturday is living in damnation, uh-huh. and he said yes, and God told me to leave him at that, okay? Yeah. So I like to leave us with scriptures out there to the the Adventist people, right? Uh-huh. Those who believe, they're correct. must remember, he blew-
1: Sounds like we lost
0: the caller. What uh, he disconnected, must have been on his end, because uh, okay. we're still connected uh, on this end.
1: <laughs> we'll uh, take it if it comes back. Uh, but let me just uh, mention, I was mentioning a, a few items here. They have a, what is called the scapegoat theory. This is one that concerns me greatly. This is uh, part of their investigative judgment uh, principle that uh, when Christ goes into the second sanctuary and he's done his cleansing and he's investigated who is worthy for eternal life and to be restored, uh, then he comes out and he puts all his sins on Satan. In the, in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. on the Day of Atonement, there were two goats that were killed. Okay. One was sacrificed and the blood was taken into the holy place and put in the mercy seat. Then uh, the other one was outside the veil and then blood was placed on him and the sins of people were confessed over the head of the, the, uh, the scapegoat and he was sent into the wilderness. Now here's the problem I have. If you read Leviticus very carefully, both of those goats were called sin offerings and they're told that they were holy unto the Lord both so,
0: the scapegoat both the
1: scapegoat and, and the other goat there's always once an offering they both claim to be holy unto the Lord so how can you use a parallel where you are saying then that the sins are, and by the way when they say the sins are going to be placed on Satan they mean basically that he is the perpetrator that causes men to c- commit sin so he must now pay the ultimate penalty for causing people to sin he's not saying that our sins he is atoning for our sins that's not what he's saying but again they missed the whole point of the the leviticus pa- section uh just like when the leper was cleansed there were two birds one was killed in sacrifice and the other one was set free of course one was speaking of christ's death the other one was speaking of christ's resurrection so there's two phases same thing with the the, the day of atonement when the high priest went the mercy, the sins was covered. But then, the Bible says he bare our sins, he carried our sins. He's also carrying our sins where the God remembers them no more. That's the image of the scapegoat. So I have a problem when you make the scapegoat Satan. Because how can Satan be holy unto the Lord when the, the, the sin offering in Leviticus is said to be holy unto the Lord? That is a weird, strange doctrine. And uh, it causes me to, to wonder. But again, it is a result of holding to your position that Christ did not return to Earth in 1834. He returned to the heavens in 1834, and he moved. Uh, you know, he, when he went from 1834, he went from the holy place to the holy of holies, and he's now investigating. So that is why they have to to view it that way because the sins is not covered. Now, when we when Christ said it it's finished. We believe atonement was completely settled. There's no, nothing more. You don't need an investigative judgment. Uh, that is a myth. The Bible says God knows those who are his. I know my sheep. So you don't have to investigate to find out who's his real sheep. But again, once you've built the system, you have now to interpret Scripture to fit your system. So you twist Scripture, basically, to fall in line with what you believe. And that's the that's the terrible thing about a religion that comes to the Bible with preconceived ideas and then try to make the Bible say exactly what you want. That is part of the great error of the Adventist movement.
0: We have a WhatsApp question that just came in from Antigua. And by the way, thank you to all of you who are sending in messages. We really appreciate your interaction this evening. The SDA church uses their health message as a lure for many to join or even to advocate them. Does the Bible have a health message for believers and is such a teaching central to the point that it is equated to be on the level with the gospel of Christ.
1: Absolutely. Sorry, go ahead.
0: Uh, that Christ came as a man, Christ was crucified, and Christ was risen and coming again. Mm-hmm.
1: There's, no, there's no clear health message in the New Testament. of so fact, Paul says to Timothy, uh, exercise yourself unto godliness, and then he goes on and say that bodily exercise profiteth of little. Uh, Paul also warns in Timothy that the day is coming when people will forbid to eat certain meats, etc., etc. Uh, all this this emphasis is in line with what the 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 thinking of the world. The world is becoming more health conscious, and the Adventists have tapped into that, and they have made this a, a, a huge thing. Uh, and of course, people are attracted uh, to, to, to 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 listen to lectures that deal with health, etc., etc. We got so many problems, but in terms of the scriptures. There's not a, 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 a specific health message to the church. We're just told that, remember that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, so we need to take care of the body. But there's a lot of overemphasis on this matter. Uh, for example, the Adventists claim that the thing that would kneel to the cross was the ceremonial law, and etc. Et but yet they hold so tenaciously to the dietary laws. Uh, they said the moral law was not nailed to the cross. So it was only these other laws. But yet they advocate this. Um, you can't eat lobster and crayfish and all these different types. And they put all the kind of rules and regulations. It has a health message. And that has proven attractive to people who are willing to come to listen to a lecture. And, of course, then they present their uh, Seventh-day Adventist dogma. Uh, but the church in itself, there is no specific health message anywhere in the New Testament that we must foster uh, the teaching of uh, of health in the scriptures is not there I would challenge anybody to bring it and show me because it's not there
0: I find it interesting that health came up because I was reading today and there was an article that someone had done a study and it supposedly proven that the average age of a Seventh-day Adventist they live longer than the rest of us mm. who are in the, the Christian world because they live a healthier lifestyle uh, again not saying that it's put on par with the gospel, but yeah, they definitely yeah, yeah. definitely do have a health focus yeah. and, in general, are healthier individuals.
1: Well, since I've been here in Antigua as well, I mean, the, the uh, we've had, um, within the Baptist Circle, we have had people come in and, and talk about um, different um, natural stuff to deal with. And I do feel that there's a benefit to it. Uh, but again, we're told, supposed to preach the gospel. Let us not get sidetracked. This body is going to decay. You, 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 most, most of us are going to live 70, 80 years. That's it. You're not yeah. going beyond that. And uh, our job is to get the gospel out to people as soon as, as quickly as possible because we're all a dying people. From the time we were born, we were born dying. And let, we must not put all this overemphasis on this matter. How be it? I do feel that it's, it's, uh, we do have to watch what we eat um a lot of these carbonated drinks etc cetera, etc cetera, very bad for the health uh my view on, on this uh and i don't want to get on because i'm not a prophet on this matter but i do feel that part of it, a lot of the way we have a lot of cancer and so on i do feel it's related to the chicken we eat with all these hormones that are pumped into it and then imported to the country i do feel that that is part of why we're having all this cancer problem but again i'm speculative there i'm not a not a physician i'm not claiming a physician but i do feel that um it would be useful for the churches once in a while to discuss these matters, but it is not supposed to be a major uh, theological plank that we must make it a major issue that it would blow it out of proportions. So that's not the intention of it.
0: What's that message from Antigua? Pastor, you have said that you read the books that were written by persons who have left the church. Mm-hmm. Would you want to read the books that were written by persons who have not left the church so that we can have a balanced view of both sides. That way I can make the right choice.
1: Now, my point is this. I have no problem in reading what others who haven't left the church have said. That's not an issue. The issue is those who were in high positions in the movement, very high positions, this guy can't write, for example, it was almost a right-hand person of a um, white, and uh, etc. He didn't leave because he had any any kind of axe to grind. He left after knowing the woman, knowing what she had said about receiving all these visions and so on, and then to discover it was not true. That she was actually copying material, uh, and then to discover that she made certain statements that this would happen, it's not true. So he, out of a good conscience, he could not continue in the movement. But I would suggest to you that the books that I am talking about that I've read of people who have left the movement, they are quoting directly what she said or what other people within the movement have said. They're not trying to in any way um, um, misrepresent what the uh, G. White and, and those, those people. Uh, but that's not the issue. The issue is that just like I have to examine, take Baptists. I have no problem reading anything that is negative about Baptist history, etc. I want to know. I want to know, am I following uh, the Scriptures? That's what I want to know. And I am not adverse to reading a book against fundamentalism uh, because I'm a fundamentalist, right? I'm a Christian fundamentalist. I hold to the tenets, of, of, uh, basic tenets of Scripture that are fundamental tenets. But I know there are people who have left the fundamental movement or left the Baptist movement and have said things I, I am not adverse to reading that. But I will tell you this: If I found that uh, any one of uh, my predecessors claimed to be a prophet or claimed to be getting direct revelation from God and spirit of God, and then I discover later on that they've been copying all these things or something, now now I got a problem there, right? I got a problem there. So I think the 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 whole matter is you've got to read both sides. I agree with that. But what we are concerned about is getting to the truth. What is the truth, and is what uh, being taught uh, in line? with Scripture.
0: You're listening to That's Truth. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? Maybe it's a question that someone asked you at work or in the grocery store the other day, and you just really don't know the answer, or maybe you think you know the answer, but you'd like Pastor Murphy to assist you in giving a biblical answer to the question. Give us a call. The number is 268-462-7420, 268-462-7420. WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. Again, WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. Or if you are joining us on Facebook Live, you can just put your question as a comment, and it will get passed along to Pastor Murphy. If you are looking for a good Bible preaching church in Antigua, We're not trying to draw you away from your church if you go to a Bible-preaching church, but if you're looking for one, we would love for you to visit Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua, and that is located on Rowan Henry Street. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10 a.m., Sunday evening service at 7 p.m., and then midweek service Thursdays at 7 p.m., and that alternates Bible and uh, prayer time, Bible study and prayer time. Pastor Murphy... Uh, back to some of the errant uh, doctrines of the Seventh Day Adventist Church. You were talking about the scapegoat. Yeah. You were talking about the investigative judgment.
1: judgment. Uh-huh. The, the other thing is about that. I am not too sure that they're clear about the atonement. Okay. Uh, we within the Baptist circle and most Orthodox churches believe the atonement was completely finished. That when Christ said it was finished, it was totally finished. But they have a weird doctrine, again, that when Christ ascended to heaven uh, with his blood, he carried the sins into the um, the, the heavenly sanctuary. Okay. See? Again, where in the world the blood cleanses the sin? It, it doesn't carry the sin up. In the, so he's been interceding for the time he ascended. He's been interceding for, up until 1844 uh, for the sins of the people. But that's not the biblical teaching. When Christ died on the cross, he died once or for all, and the whole sin problem was solved. And then they um, teach that they, now in this in the second area where he's now investigating to find out who is worthy. Uh, they say that he's now applying his work of atonement to us. See, presently, yeah, presently, that's a that's a weird, uh, never um, very aberrant way of in- interpreting the atonement.
0: Would you say that that is just contrary to what we traditionally would believe, or would you say that that is actually undermining the work of Jesus Christ? In I think right? it is
1: undermining, because the Bible says he died when? Once and for all time. Okay. So, so that was when he said it was finished, the work of redemption atonement was completely finished there, right? What he does, of course, he intercedes for the believer. We know that. We can come to him for the throne of grace. But uh, again, um, everything and Adventism depends on this investigative judgment and this heavenly sanctuary which is a myth there's no biblical grounds whatsoever for this doctrine as a matter of fact there is a book I would recommend that uh, you people go online and read a, a book by a guy called Dale Rasliff. it's called The Cultic Doctrine that's the title of it, Cultic Doctrine if you really want a thorough complete thorough understanding of this investigative judgment this is the book you want again he was once an Adventist pastor and his light the light came on finally to understand that this is this is a myth, this is no biblical grounds for what these people are teaching. And of course he left the movement and he did a thorough study on it. So those who are uncertain and confused of what they teach and why they teach it, read the book, The Cultic Doctrines by Dale Rasliff, R A T Z L A W F. You can go online. I checked it online before I came to make sure it was available online. It's available online.
0: What are some other resources that you would suggest for someone who really is seeking to understand uh, the history of the Adventist Church and some of these doctrines to be able to investigate what the the church? I'm assuming these books that you're recommending, they are not just speculating on what the Adventist teach; no, they're quoting. They're quoting direct okay. quotations, okay. and
1: and I, I would think that one of the best books that um, I mentioned already is by uh, D.M. Cartwright. Canwright. Uh, his book called Seventh-day Adventist Renounced. Now, this is the guy that knew Ellen G. White intimately. was always involved with her. And he left the movement after many, many years. As a matter of fact, he left several times and came back. And uh, he explained to you why he came back. Because it's it's like finally discovering that what you believe all your life is now wrong so hmm. he was brought back several times about three times he left the movement and, they, and he was able to come back but then he couldn't take it any longer he realized that this is this is, this is bogus and he left and he wrote this book and in, nobody has ever charged him within this to misrepresenting the facts as a matter of fact within the book itself he quotes the letters that were sent to him when he left and you'll see that his character was impeccable and they, they had held in the highest esteem and was trying to bring him back. And those letters are there to be copied, you can see where they came from. So this guy is an, uh, uh, that's a that's a fantastic book I think that you and then the other one, of course, is the one by the life of uh, Ellen G. White, by the same author, her claims uh, refuted. Uh he will show you in, in that book, when he was a wrong, how she would hear conversations or somebody would tell her something, and then next thing she would have a special a special word. People would often think that she was inspired because they didn't know that uh, she didn't know what was going on. But often they didn't know that she had people who were telling her what was going on, and then she would write this this missive, this this letter, ex- dealing with the problem that this person think this woman must be a prophet because she- mm. how in the world would she ever know that? Yeah, <laughs> he uses several examples of that, right? Uh, but she seemed to be a type of person that always wanted to put you right. So I don't know how, how what word to use for her. But very, very legalistic and everything. And any any particular problem, she always has a word from the Lord for you, a direct word from the Lord. When in truth and fact, uh, she knew about the situation through somebody else and then wrote to you as if nobody told her. Read the book. It's a fascinating book. And nobody, to my knowledge, has questioned this guy. He has an impeccable character. Uh, he's highly held by all Adventists who knew him before he left and they even tried to bring him back within the movement itself, but he couldn't take it any longer. He had to face the truth, and the truth set him free.
0: Pastor, we have a very, very deep or practical question that has come in from a six-year-old here in Antigua. People that never got the opportunity to hear the gospel, when they die, what will happen to them?
1: Well, let me say this. That's one of the questions that... Um, ch- pastors wrestle with churches, wrestle with what I would say to you is that the church has a responsibility to get the message to those people. Okay, there's not a single person on planet earth who sincerely wants to seek God and to find out God that God will not get the message to that person. There have been pe- uh, people in, in Africa, South America, uh who was searching for God and, and prayed that God would, would somehow reveal the truth to them and, and God in miraculous brought missionaries to them so they get to hear the truth. Remember that in Romans, we are without excuse. The book of Romans makes it absolutely clear that there's not a single person on planet Earth that's, that that has an excuse why he doesn't follow the Lord. Is that Romans 1? Romans chapter 1. It says that God has revealed himself, his power, his attributes by what is created. So every man can know by creation that there is a God, that this God is all-powerful, that this God is infinite. And that should cause man to praise God and worship God and submit to God. But man continues to live in rebellion. So to say to the, the young man, there's not a single innocent person uh, out there that does that have an excuse for not following the Lord. Uh, from what God has revealed through His created order, that should probe men to seek Him and to find Him. And once that person seek God with all of his heart, God will bring someone or get the message to that person. But to answer your question another way, the church has to understand it will bear the blood of people who never got the gospel that we could have taken the gospel to. Uh, Ezekiel talks about this. uh, Son of man, I've made you a a watchman. If I say to the righteous, thou shalt surely die, and you refuse to do it, his blood will be on your Hands. Sober in thought. Uh, sober in thought. But if I say to the man, that the, the righteous, are you given the message? Then he bears his own iniquity, his own sin. We cannot absolve the church from the responsibility of the missionary call. We have to carry the gospel to people. We have to carry the gospel that people may hear, the, the tidings. But there's not a single person uh, on planet Earth that has any excuse for not following God. Uh, Romans chapter 1 makes it very They are without excuse in totality.
0: Now, they are... So let me just say something to this young fella. I don't know if it's a young fella or a young lady. I don't think it's a young
1: fella, but even if it is a young fella, let me say to you, uh, sir, you've asked some very good questions. You better make sure that you're in the kingdom of God and make sure that you follow the Lord and trust him as your savior. Because to ask questions and uh, want answers, and those answers are provided and you don't respond to them, you're held accountable. So you better make sure that you know the Lord and trust the Lord, and thank God that He's giving an opportunity here in Antigua. You can hear the gospel on television, on the radio. You can go from church to church in Antigua. You live in a world that is saturated with the gospel. So you, sir, don't have any excuse.
0: A question about Romans chapter one: You're saying that everyone, from according to Romans chapter one, everyone on this earth, is will be held accountable for the fact that there is a God.
1: Yeah, they are responsible for acknowledging that it's a God and being thankful to that God. Uh, clearly, the Bible says, and they were uh, they were not thankful.
0: But does everyone understand Jesus Christ by no, looking at
1: no, up? no, no, nobody. can That's where you need special revelation. That's okay. why Christ came, and that's where here is a person who maybe observed nature and realized it just couldn't happen. Uh, I myself am astounded at how how limitless the universe is. When I hear that on in our in Milky Way we got a billion stars, and then I learned we got a billion galaxies, I, my mind is completely bamboozled. I can't, I can't comprehend that. And that's why David said the heavens declare the glory of God, and David didn't have a, a telescope. But what he could see <laughs> was so large Wise man that he's, that he's mindful of him. Man is so insignificant. So that stimulation, of a person the, the recognition that there is a supreme being of infinite wisdom and of infinite power. That should draw that person to the submission to that person to seek that God and pray to that God and ask that God, I don't know you. I need to know you. Reveal yourself to me and uh, bring that knowledge to me. When a person does that, I sincerely believe, like Cornelius, the centurion, uh, was praying and praying and the Bible says, your prayers have gone up as a memorial. Here's a man seeking for truth. He doesn't understand the truth, but what does God do? He takes Peter, Peter, from where he is in in, um, Samaria and sends him down to Joppa and he delivers the message to to the man. Take the Ethiopian eunuch. He's searching for God. He he leaves Ethiopia. He comes to Israel. He goes to the Passover and he still doesn't understand. He got the book of Isaiah. He's reading Isaiah chapter 53. He's wounded for transgressions, etc. And then what does God do? He moves Philip from a successful ministry in, in, in Samaria, brings him to Gaza. Why? Because a man is searching for truth. And Philip says to him, understand us what I'll read. He said, no. He said, well, come up into my chair. And he began at that same portion and preached unto him Jesus. Here are two classic examples of men seeking God. They haven't found God, but they're in the pursuit of God. And God brings somebody to get that message. I believe that's the way God deals with us.
0: I've often thought about the situation with Philip in the Ethiopian. Philip in a ministry that God was blessing, and God called him to Gaza. A desert. Correct. And you think of th- how people view churches and ministries today, thinking, oh, God's blessing, I'm going to s- stay here where God is seen there's a lot of fruit. Yeah. Who wants to be called to a, a desert, a physical yeah. desert, a spiritual desert? Yeah. It's-
1: there are hard places. Uh, for example, you, you mentioned that, but you remember that um, it was um, jo- Kerry that labored for years. I forgot it was 10 or 12 years he labored before he had his first convert. Uh, there are hard areas, but again, look what Kerry did. He translated the Bible into the language of the Indians and so on, and many dialects. So you can't measure man's success by the numbers.
0: Yeah, and they're still using that, that same translation Correct. in many places. And he,
1: don't forget that because of his translation into the language, he actually gave the grammar to the Indian language. I mean, even the Indian government, I think there's a big statue of of Kiri in India because they recognize the contribution he made because of the Christian faith.
0: We have a caller from Nevis. Go ahead and quickly with your question. We only have two minutes
1: left in the program. Good evening. Good evening, sir. Uh,
2: The Adventist, I used to listen to program on TV from their radio, their TV program now they say that they are still in search of the truth and in that they go to israel to see if they see gehenna and they said gehenna no longer exists Uh he existed in the time of christ Uh but it no longer exists Mm -hmm. and also they scoff up what jesus said about the rich man
1: and Lazarus uh-huh. with her. Yeah. Let me respond to you very quickly. The um miss the point of that passage. He didn't say Gehenna. In the Greek language, that's why I said a moment ago, one of the great problems of these cultic groups and these that are leaning in that particular area, they go to a particular English word. They don't look at the Greek grammar. What it actually says in that passage is the Gehenna of fire. In other words, Gehenna was the, the, the place there where they were always burning the stuff in Israel. And uh, it never really went out because it kept burning, burning, burning. Our Lord took that image and said to the people of his time, that you are going to face the same thing in the end time when you when you die outside of Jesus Christ. So it's not that you're going to Gehenna. You're going to Gehenna of fire, just like that place was always burning and never stopped burning. That is the point he's making. He's not saying that Gehenna, the place, is where... So the Adventists are really... They've, they've put themselves in a, in a corner and to retract a lot of what they've believed and followed now puts them in an embarrassing situation. And it's unfortunate that they're not more honest among them that would come out and admit that this is our dilemma, this is our problem.
0: Thank you for joining us on That's Truth. Uh, Pastor Murphy, just to confirm with a quick question, as I often do at the end of the program, are there born-again believers in the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Oh yeah, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that one bit. All right. And again, your purpose is not to tear down another church, it's to hold forth the The truth. truth.
1: That's exactly correct.
0: Be sure you join us again next week here on That's Truth. And we're going to be discussing another new religion. We're going to be discussing the Mormon church and what they believe. We'll start out with their history, what they believe, and then comparing it to scripture. Again, thanks for all your interaction on the program tonight. We really appreciate your interaction. We look forward to your interaction on future weeks.